0: Pastors, this afternoon will come from Acts. We're jumping right in the middle in just one verse here, but this is Paul where he's meeting with the elders from Ephesus there at Miletus, saying goodbye to them as he knows that he is on his way to Jerusalem and most likely will perish. So he's warning them to take care of the flock that is among them. And he says this in chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Lord, our God, we do pray this afternoon that you would impress the truth of your word upon our hearts. Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. There are different things in the scriptures that are meant to make us a little uncomfortable. And Acts 20, 28 is one of those very things that I think is meant to make us uncomfortable. Well, at the same time, it's meant to provide us some comfort. It's one of the most shocking verses in in all of the scriptures. It, It should make you squirm a little bit and the pew as you hear it read this morning. I can remember the first time that I was wrestling with this text. I had previously gone to a Ligonier conference in Florida and R.C. Sproul was teaching and I remember him taking the hymn that we will sing at the end of our service here this afternoon and Can It Be and he took that hymn to task. Sproul said, I can never sing that hymn as Charles Wesley originally wrote it. He said, We cannot say that God died on the cross, where everything would have ceased to be. So he said, I always sing, How can it be that thou, my Lord, should die for me? instead of, How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And for a couple years after that, after hearing Sproul's explanation, I was convinced, and I was a sprawlite when it came to and can it be? I would only sing Lord at the top of my lungs. And then one day I was reading the book of Acts and my devotions, and Acts 20, 28 jumped out at me. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. He obtained. He purchased who? God. God obtained with His own blood. Shocking. Can you sing, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? I think you can. Roel is a much better theologian than I will ever be. But I think you even must. On this Good Friday, I want to look at the issues surrounding this verse and then look at its interpretation and just close with a few thoughts. So first, the issues that surround this verse. The language of verse 28 has always caused people to squirm. How, How can Paul say God's blood? It makes people squirm in our day, and it made people squirm in the first couple centuries of Christianity. As you know, Luke, the disciple of the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of Acts. And we don't have Luke's original manuscript, but copies were made of that manuscript. What scribes would do is they would sit down, and they would have the book, and they would make a copy from it word by word as much as they could. And then there would be copies that would be made of those copies, and those copies would be spread throughout the world. This was how books were preserved in the ancient world and even up through the medieval world before the invention of the printing press. Scribes sitting down, copying by hand to the best of their ability, letter by letter, every word of the book they were copying. In the earliest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Luke, they contain the verse as we have it in the ESV, as I read it this morning, the Church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Some later copies do not have that. Some scribes, it appears, read these words and were uncomfortable. And so they changed the verbiage to read the Church of the Lord, which he obtained with his own blood. Lord, of course, referring to Jesus. Now, one can understand this on on multiple levels. The sacred names of God and Lord were often abbreviated in the New Testament by scribes because they wanted to be careful not to use the sacred names of God in vain. And the abbreviations for God and for Lord are both just two letters. And there is only one letter that makes them differ a kappa versus a theta. And so a scribe could have thought that a previous scribe had made an error as he was copying this very verse. And it couldn't be God's blood. That doesn't make sense, so it must be Lord's blood. And he changed it. He just changed that one little letter from a theta to a kappa. This appears to be the case with these later manuscripts. Because in Paul's writings throughout the New Testament, he uses the phrase church of God. That is the phrase in our passage, and he nowhere says in any of his writings, the church of the Lord. It's very Pauline to say church of God. Furthermore, it's the rule of textual criticism, the discipline of determining what is the original text that usually the more difficult reading is the preferred reading. That's the original reading. Because someone wouldn't take a simpler reading of the text and make it more complex. They would take something that is more complex and make it simpler. And so almost all historians and scholars are agreed that the original language here is the church of God, which he obtained or purchased with his own blood. And so, our ESV translates it that way. The KJV translates that way. The new KJV does. The NIV does. The Authorized Version does. The New Living Translation does. The NSB does, and so on. But what in the world do we do with that? God's blood it shouldn't make you squirm. What can that possibly mean? Spro's right. If God dies, The world disappears, the the universe disappears, all that we know vanishes. And so when we see a text like this, our inclination is rightly to want to diminish it or or even reject it as some of these early scribes do. But I think we can do better. I think we should seek to clarify. it. What does this mean? It cannot mean that God died as humans died. There is no divine death. God is eternal. But we need finite, contingent existence for there to be death. And and God is eternal. And God is infinite. So what does it mean? This is where our Chalcedonian Orthodox Christianity comes to bear. The Chalcedonian Creed, that great early creed of the church which detailed and confessed who the person of Christ was was, and is, and is the established orthodox doctrine of Christianity. Let me just read it for you. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards His Godhead. And at the same time, of one substance with us as regards His manhood. Like us in all respects, apart from sin. As regards His Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages. But yet as regards His manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person in subsistence. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of Him. And our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us and the Creed of the Fathers has handed down to us. Probably confess that in church multiple times. Chalcedonian Christianity. Here is one who is fully God. And fully man in one person. One substance with the Father as regards His Godhead. And at the same time, of one substance with us as regards His manhood. Truly God. And truly man. Two natures coming together to, to form one person in subsistence. What theologians call the, the hypostatic union. The theanthropic person. The Os, God, Anthropos, man, the theanthropic person, the God-man. Son of God. Eternally God. Appropriates to himself humanity. when he was conceived in and when he was born in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the Son of God, who appropriated human flesh, appropriated our humanity, and appropriated our death. Real human death. His real human blood was shed, and he truly died for us, the God. The son, the second person of the triune God had suffered in his human nature, the infinite person of God. We can say in his human nature, nature, suffered in our place and his suffering was of infinite efficacy and infinite. Value. Because of his infinite divine nature. Let's be crystal clear. God cannot suffer in His nature. That's an old heresy in Christianity called patripassionism. The Father could not suffer. He's impassable. But the divine Son, He assumed human nature in order to suffer, in order to die for us. And as the very Son of God, the second person of the triune godhead he is fully god he, he's not one-third of god he's not part of god he is god so when we speak of him we're speaking of god and so we can say with paul to the elders of ephesus the blood of god was shed for us the early church fathers recognized the importance of this wording i was reading some of them this week on this very thing. Ignatius will use this language in his letters from Acts 20. Tertullian will use the same language. I was reading Gregory of Nyssa of the 4th century who wrote this. He said, in the Lord Christ, because of the full union of the divine and human natures, we can exchange their names and call human what is divine and divine what is human. That is why the Apostle Paul says that the Lord of glory was crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.8 And that is why he gives the name of Jesus to the one before whom every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, Philippians 2.10. It's what theologians have called the communicatio idiomatum, the communication of properties. That is that the characteristics of one nature, his deity or humanity, are attributed to the whole person of Christ, though never to the other nature. So we can say... That Christ was asleep in the boat, even though in his divinity he never slumbers nor sleeps. That we could say that Christ grew tired and hungry, and that he wept, we can attribute to his person because of his, what is true of his humanity is true of him, though it was not true of his deity. In the same way, we can attribute what is true of his divinity to his person, though it is not true of his humanity. Christ in human flesh died. He died, though in his divinity he ever lived. But we can say the God man died. His blood was shed. So Paul says God's own blood was shed. Notice that even in the Creed I just read, the Chalcedonian Creed, the early church fathers used similar language probably made you a little uncomfortable if you hadn't heard it before. or probably made you uncomfortable if you heard it a thousand times. It should. And I read, as regards His Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards His manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation, of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, God-bearer. Who bears God? The word is Theotokos, God-bearer. Did you know that it was the heretics that wanted to get rid of that in the creed? Heretics. Nestorius argued that Mary should be called the Christotokos, the Christ-bearer. But the Council of Ephesus rightly defer- determined that Nestorius was dividing Jesus into two distinct persons, the human who was the son of Mary and the divine who was not. And this destroys the union of the two natures in one person. So the church fathers understood that we must, we must be able to attribute what is true of one nature to the whole person or we have two persons. Though we cannot attribute what is true of one nature to the other nature. That would confuse the two natures. So Paul's words here to the elders at Ephesus have this Christian orthodoxy, this Chalcedonian orthodoxy circling in the background. Chalcedon had not occurred. Paul was very Chalcedonian. God's own blood. God's own blood. should send shivers up and down your spine. Apart from Christian orthodoxy, circling in the background, the idea that God's blood was shed would be offensive if not nonsensical. But with all the truth of orthodox Christianity behind it, that God became flesh, appropriated humanity, and appropriated human death, our death, it drives home with force the absolutely shocking sacrifice that was made for us. God, God shed His own blood. to awaken us from our stupor maybe you showed up for yet another worship service today yet a, another good friday service yep we'll we'll do it again yep we'll hear that jesus died for us again yep we'll hear that god loves us again yep we'll hear that we're saved again. God shed his own blood. To be shocked. Just shocked out of cold indifference. There's no mistake that Paul uses such language. I have three thoughts based upon this little verse for you this afternoon. First, let us be shocked by God's commitment to save his own. Paul is proclaiming to these elders the incalculable costs that God expended to establish the church. How can any hear these words without being affected? How can any read these words dryly? The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and purchased the church with his own blood word that we translate obtained in the ESV or bought or purchased in some of your English versions has the idea of making one's own. And here is the unfathomable commitment of God to save his own, to make us his own. Notice it's not the sacrifice that causes divine love, but rather the sacrifice is the consequence or the evidence of his divine love. God was committed. He so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Here is the divine commitment. These people are so precious to Him that, that He pays this sacred cost of His own blood to make them His own. That, that's what Paul points out to these elders. Take care of this flock as under shepherds, elders of Ephesus. Protect them from the wolves that would seek to devour, devour them. For do you know what these people cost him? It costs God his own blood. And so whatever it may cost you, it, it is more than a worthy sacrifice to defend them. He's shocked by God's commitment to make us his own. Second, consider this afternoon our shocking privilege. We've been purchased. This is what Paul wants these elders never to forget. The church doesn't just belong to God because He owns all things. He, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. No, they belong to Him. We belong to Him because we have been purchased. Bought with a price. Fully paid for. In the Old Testament, the Jews were required to offer sacrifices to God. They had to take the best of their flocks, the very best, without spot or without blemish, without wrinkle, and offer them before God in sacrifice. And it reminded them that sin was serious. It told them day in and day out that sin was costly, and, and no one could could come into God's presence casually. It spoke to them time and again of the privilege of approaching such a holy God. A way had been made, and it required death. It, it was costly. You, you couldn't sacrifice the, the best of your flocks, the best of what you had, with, without valuing, without understanding the, the privilege of, of approaching God. We were purchased with God's blood. Language is meant to shock us and to realize in what a privilege we enjoy. But value it. You and me, right now, this very moment, you are meeting with God, and He is meeting with you. You are meeting with a holy, transcendent, glorious, majestic God, and you have no right turn to His presence. And yet, you belong here. And you can come, not sheepishly, not cowardly, not afraid, not fearful, but as Paul says, with boldness. Why? Because you're covered by His own blood. By His blood. own blood. That leads to this final thought. Shocking eternal promise that is made to those that are His. This isn't the blood of goats. This isn't the blood of bulls. This is the blood of the God-man. Yes, it was human blood, but it was blood of a divine person, the Son of God, the Son of God who took human flesh to Himself. And in that human flesh, He suffered and He died. And so the promise of life purchased by Him is eternal. If God would make such a sacrifice to make the church His own, will He ever lose it? Will He ever lose His grasp on it? How, Paul, how do you have such confidence that our eternal life is secure? Because he purchased us with his own blood. His Just so listen to these verses on the blood of Christ. And you tell me whether you should feel secure, dear Christian. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18-19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Finally, the song that all the saints are singing before the throne of Christ in heaven that we will join someday. Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth the promise. The eternal promise sealed by the blood of the Son of God shed for you. I'm sympathetic. I'm sympathetic to those who want to sing, and can it be, and substitute the title Lord for God. I understand. I think Charles Wesley knew what he was doing. I think he was doing the same thing the Apostle Paul was doing here. Chalcedonian Christian Orthodoxy clearly in the background. We are forced to face the shocking truth. Have our souls jolted, if you will? Have our senses just kind of twitch and sing a little uncomfortably, that we might not treat our salvation lightly. To be shocked. Cost God person of a son, his own blood, his very life, that you and I can even sing before him and not be crushed. But even as it provides uncomfortability, it provides the greatest comfort of all. By his blood, we're able to sing before him forever, without fear, to enter into his presence. That's his promise. This afternoon, you'd be uncomfortable, and you'd be comforted. And I think we must sing, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. Let it shock you and have its full effect.